welcome to Space Men Pod. I'm Ian Edmund. And I'm Mark Lassels. And this time we're going to be carrying on with our chat with uh, Mark Riffoy. Uh, when we started doing this, we didn't really imagine that we would do as many parts of this interview as we've ended up doing. But it's just then continually been the case where Mark's had more interesting things to say. And in particular, for this uh, episode, we were thinking that we had done all the Spaceman 3 and spiritualized stuff and we'd probably move on to talking about Mark's solo things. But he uh, was quite keen to uh, volunteer some stories about a recording of Pure Phase, which we didn't really mention in the previous episode. And considering this is the week where Pure Phase gets its reissue, it all tied in very nicely. Very so, neat. Yeah, um, that's what uh, the majority of our chat today is going to be about. It's certainly worth uh, revisiting that discussion, I think, to actually get into it in a bit of a more kind of meaty fashion, really, because, well, as you will hear, uh, there were a lot of fascinating things happening. And and he played a great deal more than, uh, than, we, than we perhaps gave him credit for. Yeah, so. well, I, I have to say that I think that of the parts of the chat we've done so far, this has ended up being my favourite. There's just lots of uh, lovely little stories, really. So um, we'll get... Maybe revisit the album, of course, uh, just in time for its, uh, for its reappearance. Apart from that, what's been going on um, Spaceman-wise in the world in the last few weeks? Well, there was a, a new interview with Jason published in Electronic Sound magazine, uh, which is uh, not stunningly in-depth, but but quite nice. And there's a few things in there that I wasn't previously aware of. Uh, the initial copies came with uh, a seven-inch, which was two of the tracks from the Pure Phase Tones for DJs single, the one which is the Pure Phase sound at various frequencies. Um, I think that even though that only went on sale uh, in the middle of last week from when we're recording this, I think it's going to be already a massive challenge for anyone to track down one are, with that free seven-inch. They, they vanished very, very quickly. But the magazine itself is, is still on sale. I'll put a link to the magazine's website on the page for, for the podcast so you can investigate that if you like. Uh, Pete Bain, we'd already spoken previously about how he had a couple of dates in November supporting the Lucifer Sams. Uh, another one's been announced in Manchester on the 13th of November. So once again, I'll put a link for where you can find details of that show. But let's get straight on and hear what we had to say with Mark about uh, recording a pure phase. Well, welcome back to Mark Riffoy. Um, thanks so much for the first parts of the interview we've done so far. Some things that um, occurred about the first part of our chats uh, since then. One of the things we talked about, of course, were the, the bands that you'd been in uh, before joining Spaceman 3. I think we got to, to six in the end. But looking around on a, a Northampton uh, Facebook group, I, I think uh, I've seen some photographic evidence that even if you weren't a full member, you might have played with at least one more act. You appear on stage with groovy underwear. Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and we yeah, there was another one which uh, I'm pretty sure you won't have heard of. There was this local uh, battle of the bands uh, kind of thing. And... Uh, uh, myself and the lads from Groovy Underwear decided to form <laughs> a joke band called Cocktail Chic. And, uh, it was at the Five Bells, actually, in, uh, in Kingsthorpe. And uh, we did a, like a 15-minute version of our version of a certain ratio shack up. And, uh, and I think we came last, but it was, it was a good laugh, you know. Uh, at the time, you, you got... You had all these bands in the 80s who were 
very um i mean fair enough they weren't anything like our sort of like you know style or whatever but they were the kind of bands that wanted to uh impress people and uh uh, they wanted to be the next U2 and all that sort of thing. And uh, whereas we weren't anything like that. And we, we entered this competition as a bit of a joke. And uh, I suppose we were a bit of high and mighty assholes, really, ourselves. But um, uh, it was a good laugh. Yeah. Well, Pop you certainly may, if the day comes when we try and put together our Pete Frame-esque Spaceman 3 family tree, you, you've made life pretty hard for us there, really. <laughs> this long uh, little trail leading down. Into... It's, it's more like my my family tree of bands, because <laughs> yeah. it's way before Spaceman 3. So, yeah, of course. Yeah. Another thing we talked about was uh, one of the bands that you're in was the, the short-lived Seller 16. And at the time, we we said last time that they didn't actually release anything. That's not completely true, though, because there was a compilation album. Oh, yeah, uh, Run to Records. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so there's one track on there for Slarty Bartfast. I, I know they were all instrumentals, yeah. so I'm guessing you took your titles from whatever occurred to you at the time. Yeah, I think that's from... Uh, is that from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? It is. Uh, one of the characters, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it gives me an opportunity, if uh, you'll indulge me, to uh, tell one of my favourite hitchhikers things that Douglas Adams wrote, which only appeared in a book of scripts of the things, where he says about the character, um, I thought this character should be a dignified elderly man weighed down with the burden of a secret sorrow i wondered what this sorrow should be and thought perhaps he might be sad about his name so i decided to give him a name that anybody would be sad to have i wanted it to sound as gross as it possibly could while still being broadcastable so i started with something that was clearly completely unbroadcastable which was farty fuckballs and simply <laughs> played around with the syllables until i arrived at something which sounded that rude but was almost but not quite entirely inoffensive so there you go if you ever Fantastic. get go back to the uh, to any practice sessions you did and uh, issue a seller 16 album you should retitle that one as far as <laughs> that's fantastic i never knew that alan would laugh Right. Since passed away, but uh, yeah. Yes. No, you, you, you said that recently because that was comparatively recent, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Total shocker. But he had a, a studio, didn't he? Yeah, he had one louder studios in uh, in Shoreditch. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, Alan was always big time into dub reggae ever since nine, 1981 when I first met him. And we would walk past this club in town called the uh, Matafan Canter which was um, where it was basically where all the Rastas would go and play their dub and they'd get visiting sound systems like Jar Shaka, people like that. And you could hear the windows rattling literally from about 500 yards down the road. Or if you're in Semillon, you could hear this like distant and when you got the nearer and nearer you got, you could hear all the windows rattling in the streets. It's fantastic. And Alan introduced me to all that. And um, he went on to work with Dennis Bovell and people, loads of people, massive attack and all that. But he was very low key. Mm -hmm. uh, he never blew his own trumpet. And uh, good laugh. Great, lovely guy, Alan. You know, God bless him. God rest him. Yeah. Well, uh, for once, we actually seem to be synchronising with um, 
real world spaceman events because only in this week that we are we are talking to you um pure phase is getting its reissue yeah synchronicity glowing the dark vinyl and uh, although we talked a bit about spiritualized things last time we didn't really talk about that album at all and i know that um there are all sorts of things involved in the making of that uh, that you can tell us about it so um thought we'd do that perhaps go through uh, run through the tracks and see but if you just wondered if you had any general things because of, of course after laser guided melodies lots of touring going on and you you made the medication single which mm. appears here re-recorded how was the lead into recording uh well it was a bit like laser guided melodies in the sense that uh we didn't really know that we were actually this is the first day of us recording our new album because we already recorded medication at bath moles when we'd done that, that was, I, I can't, do you know what? I can't remember when that was, when that, if that was 92 or 93 or. Well, Medication was actually played on the Laser Guided Melodies tour. It was one of the, it was the first time I heard it was on the, was on the Laser Guided Melodies tour. Oh, was it? Wow. Yeah. At the Astoria with Verve supporting banker strobes going backwards and forwards along the back. We did Medication back then? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I remember that, uh, that gig, Got that was that. a bit like. Killing the Ghost, because we played with Spaceman 3 there, and I remember... No, no, we hadn't. Yes, we had. No, it was the day it was Town and Country, wasn't it? No, Town and Country. Yeah. We did play the Town and Country with Spiritualized, though, didn't we? It was, sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm completely wrong. It was Town and Country, yeah. that, the, the Laser Guided Melodies tour. That's right, yeah. And I remember we thought we'd killed the Ghost uh, after we played there. Not that there was anything to kill, really, but it, I think that was the phrase that somebody said. Um, well, I guess it was still early enough with Spiritualized that it wasn't quite clear which way it was going to go and yeah. how successful it would be. And if you can send out the town and country, then it's obviously yeah. going all right. Yeah, yeah. And it was with Verve and, you know, they were a great uh, band to, you know, tour with. That was an incredible show. Another one. Well, they were all, every single one was back then. Yeah. So on to, it's, when we go through the tracks, obviously not going to be the order they were recorded in, but it does kick off with that um, re-recording of mm. uh, medication. Do you know much difference in the, the sort of approaches to it from the original version to the, the final album one? When you say original version, do you mean, was there another recorded version? Well, you recorded the, the single originally. Uh, as yeah. It came out as a single on its own. And that version's probably a bit punchier, whereas on the album, which... The, it came out so much later. I'm assuming it was a completely new session. It's also got the kind of little Beach Boys bit at the at the beginning rather than at some point in the middle ah, of the track, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You know what? I th I think that was my idea to do that bit. The... Yeah, yeah. I think, but I will, You know, I'm I'm not hundred percent confident that that is the case. Uh, so long ago, but I think yeah. it was. Of course, from the off, it's it's imbued with that pure phase sound that stretches throughout the whole album but mm. i'm assuming that that was a sort of studio effect that wasn't really there while you were doing the original recordings you have to ask jason about that <laughs> <laughs> i didn't realize that that was going to be the case uh, i remember he said to me once uh, yeah i'm going to do systems music and i went oh yeah all right thinking you know i haven't got a clue what that means yeah that that was all uh, jason's part mm. of his vision of the, the album as a whole yeah, I don't think I was aware of that particular thing that was going to happen to Pure Phase until after yeah. I'd, you know, gone my own way. Well, um, I mean, that one was something that people would have heard previously, having been out on a single, but 
the next one on the album after that, uh, a real fan favourite, although it's not had too many outings, was the Slide Song. What can you tell us about that? Um, I remember hearing it and thinking, uh, uh, I think Jason's got the basic ideas of it down. And we must have been there, but I remember struggling to do something on it. I, pr- I presume that's the one that goes. That's it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and I did, I did that. And I remember Jason going, yeah, yeah, that's good. D- yeah, keep that. That is the kind of central motif of that entire song. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. I, I did that on it and it, and it made it, it, it kind of gave us an idea. Of, oh yeah, that gives a bit of sparkle, you know, and um, gives it a bit of, um, definition and i think it helped jason um you know complete it or whatever you know yeah no i mean it's turned out to be one of these songs which um among spiritualized fans is often um near the top of the list of things that you'd like to hear them play which didn't get played too much really yeah the great thing about things like that is that uh it gave me like a bed to sort of like come up with stuff like that if the chord sequence and jason's uh, lyrics and chords hadn't been there in the first place, then it wouldn't have given me the, you know, the notion to do that, if you know mm. what I mean. But on the other hand, I think that some of those parts which you contributed to that, which, as I've said to you, that uh, I, I, there were an awful lot of things on both Pure Phase and on Laser Guided Melodies, which I thought were presumed even, thought were played by Jason, were in fact played by you. So if you take, for instance, that which is the central part of uh, the slide song, and then you compare it to something like the the central part of Sway, I, I now realise that if you take those bits out, that's actually the kind of major part of the, of the song, which was actually the part you played. I think uh, that Jason would do stuff which would fire my imagination and I'd like to think vice versa as well. Uh, even though we would never sort of sit down and go, hey, I love what you did, man. It was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do that to that. And uh, yeah, a lot of the time it was never acknowledged. It was like, uh, we do it, record it. And it was like, yeah, yeah, that will do. That will work. <laughs> well, it's a cohesive band, isn't it? A band yeah. that works. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of that on Pure Phase. Uh, for example... Um, I remember he had these great, this great chord sequence. Can you hear this? Oh yeah. Spread your wings. Yeah. That's your melody line over the top, is it? Yeah, I would put that over his. You know what I mean? So I just went. The weird thing is that I, uh, on the spiritualized uh, message board, I I said, oh, it's never been played live. And of course, someone said, well, what about this? And found a version, which was... uh, Yeah, I heard that. Completely floored me. Absolutely beautiful. I always, I'd love to have heard that played live, but maybe one day. Yeah, yeah. Well, in terms of planning and and getting these songs together something which people were a bit skeptical about at the time was that jason claimed to have spent more time working on the next song on the album electric phase and some of the others and the reason why people were skeptical about this is because electric phase is just um a couple of minutes of noise really i don't don't even remember it (laughs) 
Oh, right. <laughs> you must have done it afterwards. <laughs> well, it's possible. I know there's at least one song that was was recorded after you weren't there anymore, but we'll get onto that when we reach its yeah. place. Oh, okay. So um, Electric Phase, not one we can say anything about, but that's followed by the um, spiritualized version of a Spaceman 3 song. Uh, it's followed by All of My Tears. Oh, yeah. I don't know much about that either. Did I even play on that? I thought that the only one you didn't play on was the re-recording of Good Times. Um, you would have done Good Times and Laid Back in the Sun when it first came out on the Electric Mainline single. But Good when... Times, is that the one? Um... Can you hear that? That's it. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that's what I did on Good Times. Yeah. And, and like, you know, chords and other stuff. I think originally when it was done for the EP, like a, a lot of things were re-recorded for the album, I don't think they re they did a version of that until after you were gone. In fact, it appears in a very strange place on the original vinyl version of the album. It's not on its regular place. And then it appears on side four, which looked like it wasn't going to be there. And I think that it was a last minute decision to have another go at that. And yeah, that was with um, newer people after after you gone. Oh, I didn't. I never knew that. It's been a bit of a strange thing for the reissue because uh, the reissue has now been resequenced in the same order as the CD. But uh, vinyl fans are a little unhappy that that means cutting sequences that sort of run together. Oh, like Born Never Asked into Electric Mainline. That's I it. Hit, exactly I did read that, about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tis that. That is an odd sequence. Well, yeah, it's but it, it was odd originally because it didn't follow what was probably meant to be the the proper order on the on the cd in the first place it's a challenge isn't it you can only get so yeah. much on a side of vinyl yeah um, okay well uh what about um these blues because there's a song that uh i, I don't know were you involved when jason was uh, arranging versions of that for spaceman 3 because it was going to be on recurring and yeah. that didn't happen in the end uh, i remember he he'd already recorded his version of that in Spaceman 3 and the Spaceman version, I did some very high, like, uh, screeing guitar. Not, not, not particularly, you know, you wouldn't listen to it and go, oh yeah, that's the sound of Mark. Uh, but I did add to that in, in a little way. Uh, but that song, it, we all loved it and still love it. Um, but Jason agonized over that song so many times. We tried, tried to get it right so many times, and uh, for some reason or other, it just never worked out. Did we ever do it live? Oh, well, Pure pure Phase Tour, so that was probably after. That was after. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't think I saw it live with you playing it. No, no. But I remember once um, in, Bar in Bath Moles, me and Jason were doing a version of that. We were jamming it, um, just me and him. Uh, I was playing guitar, he was playing guitar, he was singing. And, uh, and I thought, oh, that's pretty good. Uh, we both went upstairs when we finished. And Kate and Johnny, and I think Sean, uh, unless he was out, but I seem to remember Kate and Johnny were just looking at us, the pair of us, wide-eyed, going, wow, that was great. And we were went... doing it doing it as the kind of tranquil, laid-back laid version, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So we said to Mike, Mike Long, I said, uh, what was that like? <laughs> and he, Mike, bless him, he went, oh, I didn't press... Didn't press record. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we we went back downstairs to try and do it again. <laughs> and then we came up and we said, uh, what was that like? And th their faces were completely different. Now we go, no, nah, do it again, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, we, we could never capture that original take that we did. 
And so it, we just ended up using the, the band version, which doesn't really, uh, yes, it's okay, it's good. But I think the song deserves more, mm. you know. It's difficult to know because, of course, we, as, as fans, we've not heard a proper studio version of the Spaceman 3. The ones we've got are, are from old cassette copies. There's one yeah. which was clean enough to actually get some sort of release in the end. And there's a, mm -hmm. a, another Space Spin 3 version, which I actually prefer, but we've only got a very hissy version of that. That's right. Really up for releasing. Yeah. But by the time it comes out on Pure Phase, you've evolved it into that complete rocker. Mm. Yeah. It does have that incredible moment kind of about two thirds of the way through, but the whole thing starts to disintegrate and it sounds like the sound really can't yeah. hold itself together, yet somehow sounds goes into another phase of sounding even better than it did. It's, yeah. I love Sean's harmonica on it as well. That really yeah. give it a lift. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, they finally played it live. That was a major part. So Yeah, yeah. I can imagine, yeah. Uh, I do like it, uh, that particular version, but I've always thought oh, there is this elusive version somewhere in the ether or in Jason's head <laughs> of uh, these blues. <laughs> we'll never get to hear it. After that, we've got what would have been the first sort of new pure phase material that many people would have heard because it was um, the single Let It Flow. Oh, yeah. I remember being uh, very, very taken with this. I think because of the point at which I came in um, a little bit late, things had already kicked off when I, I first noticed Spaceman 3 and Spiritualized. And I think that Let It Flow was the first new material that was released. Yeah. And I was very aware that there seemed to be a bit of a shift because it's it's nicely sparse i think yeah. that's part of its power really yeah when we were rehearsing that song initially <laughs> yeah my big moment was <laughs> <laughs> but when it's in context it's it's good uh and i think is that the one that goes is it that one? Yeah. I think it was Jason's idea to go. I think he came over to me and went, can you just go? So, yeah, all right. Uh, I, I had my guitar tuned to open G, but my, my bit, which I came up with uh, in rehearsal, was just like, but when you've got it through an amp and, you know, loads of delay and stuff on it, it really does, you know, it kicks in. I remember we used to go, go round and round that bit at the end, and I would just... I didn't know whether I was bored or ecstatic. Because <laughs> yeah. I thought, how, how can I get away with just... But, you know, Jason liked it, so it, it, it was all good. I, not that I'm imagining that Jason's sitting down and giving you little lectures on his songwriting and what's going on, but I, I, I've lately come to appreciate that song even more than I did in the first place. And it's got the lovely... Um, is that a timpani drum beat? going on throughout it the sort of mm. boom, boom, boom. and it was only after I got to I'd known it for a long time that I suddenly realized that feels like it's supposed to be a heartbeat and then towards the end when it breaks down and the electric sound starts screeching in and it all goes very discordant maybe I'm reading something that isn't here into it but it struck me that the intention was that for whatever reason perhaps overindulgence uh, someone's effectively a heart stopped beating and all that chaos is is there while people are frantically trying to bring them back and then suddenly the drums crash back in and there's the clarity and mm. i can just see the image of someone mm. has 
suddenly just come back from the brink just in time. Did, did Jason re-record the drumming to that with using somebody else other than Johnny? I don't know is a short answer to that yeah. one. I remember Jay, uh, Johnny and Sean, and Johnny and Will as well, but in pure, as soon as we're talking about pure face, Johnny and Sean were like that. They were, they locked in, they, they were brilliant. All, all, all those bits in uh, Electric Mainline where it goes, dum, 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 mm -hmm. dum. You know, Johnny and Sean had, had worked all that out and uh, themselves. And because uh, that, that originally came out, as, as a jam at the end of uh, Shine a Light, and I remember it. That's in right. Newcastle Riverside. We did it for the first time, and we got off stage. <laughs> Actually, that I, I digress. But this particular gig, there was a couple of Japanese uh, fans there come over from Japan, and um, after the gig, uh, when we walked back into the dressing room, they they were bowing to each one of us as we came in, and. Uh, uh, in, in Japanese uh, society, uh, the tradition of the bow, as, as part of their uh, customary etiquette, uh, the deeper the bow uh, affords you the greater respect. And uh, they were kind of like going like that as each one of us walked in. Jason walked in and they just went down like that. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, it was that gig at Newcastle Riverside and um, Shine a Light was the last song and... Uh, we did that improvised bit of thing at the end, which became Electric Mainline. And I remember we all came on stage and just went, wow, what was that? That worked. Yeah, it used to be incredible. <laughs> I was uh, watching earlier um, the MTV session that you did, and that finishes with uh, that, well, not that it's called Electric Mainline at that time, but that goes out of, of Shine Light. And yeah, you can see that everyone's got it worked out there. Will talks a lot in his book about he and Johnny almost being telepathic in yeah. their complete reading of each other's playing. And, That's right, uh, yeah. Yeah. and if you yeah, say Sean definitely. fitted into that as well afterwards. Yeah. yeah, and Sean fitted in, yeah, in his own way, oh. just as well, but in oh. his own way, yeah. Oh. It's uh, amazing. We were a proper band. <laughs> yes. yes. You're right. Well, after Let It Flow, there's um, uh, Take Good Care of It. The first time I, I heard Take Good Care of It was would have been, as I'm sure it was for many people, on the um, Spiritualized Live album. The fucked up inside one from oh, the yeah. US tour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember at the time. Uh, I know I'm a bit of a minority here because it's it's very popular that album. But I remember that being the first time when I heard a new spiritualized track, and I felt, well, it's fine, but it doesn't tell me anything that I don't already know about this band. Really, it's got much the same structure and played in much the same way, and that might be why I was uh, really very happy to hear it again on the album because it's done in a pretty unusual way. There was also there was also a version that came out um, first time I heard it. I think it was a free cassette on the front of the NME recorded at Glastonbury. Oh, yeah, that's right. And oh. uh, and it then appeared a part of that set. Um, and that's when there was a lot of that kind of sort of tremolo sounds and all that in it. And so totally different from the album. But it's been very much reinvented for Pure Phase. There's mm. the horns and the plunging bass, and there's lots of space in there. Is this taking time? Is no, it's it's. Um, you got a whole lot of love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, to give Jason his credit, he came over to me and he went, yeah, can you go? Dun, 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 dun. So I did that uh, at, at his behest. Um, yeah, I, got, I love that song. That's brilliant. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, beautiful song. Yeah, yeah. That really, we used to use it as an opener, I think. 
It might have been the opener at Glastonbury. Uh-huh. One of the times we played Glastonbury. Yeah, I was at Glastonbury in 92 and 93. You were both I, of those, yeah? Yeah, I saw both of those. So it was one of the afternoon with the with the, the classic moment of the biplane going over at the most perfect moment, which somebody captures on that video. They zoom in on it. Which oh, yeah. I can, I can remember that. It was... <laughs> And then 93 was the, the, well, that was the evening performance, so it was a much kind of heavier set, but yeah, yeah, yeah both that. both phenomenal. So do you remember with, with Take Good Care of It, the, the recording of the album version? Because it's, it's so different, it's slowed down and uh, more yeah. spaces in there. Do you know what? I don't, re- I don't really remember it. I, pr- I much prefer the version that we did live. And... Got some balls, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's on, as you say, Fucked Up Inside, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I much prefer... I think to it's me, the opener was, on that as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, that was that was my contribution, which was initially Jason's like, you know, idea uh-huh. uh, to do this the dun, 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 which is like a variation on a theme almost, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the halfway breakthrough the album. After that, it does come back with the the cover of Born Never Asked. It was my idea to do that. I, I, I suggested let, let's cover Born Never Asked. Laurie Anderson is just massive. Mm. Um, she's that album well you know uh, just amazing and I, I'd worked out just just for the hell of it for my own benefit the uh, and I think I said oh wouldn't it be good if it, we did that on guitars and everybody agreed so yeah we did we did it was it only ever the intention to do uh, an instrumental version of it yes yeah Oh, of course, there's lyrics, isn't there? There it's are on her version. Yeah. More like a homage, really. Yeah. Than actually saying this is a, a definitive cover of Born Never Asked because there's there's none of the, her lyrics on it. So um, it's, it's more like a tipping of the hat, so to mm-hmm. speak. And that then plunges into the long album version of uh, Electric Mainline. Main yeah. yeah. When you're doing, when you're recording a long rocker, I know it's a bit of a, an ordeal. I mean, Will talked about trying to play the bass on suicide never being much fun. But when it's going on at that pace, you can get into it and you can really, you know, mm. keep yourself going for that. Is it a bit more of a challenge when you've got something as gentle as Electric Mainline to maintain it for the length that it, it was on that album? Uh, in the studio, yeah, definitely. I distinctly remember doing my... Um, this is the guitar I use, by the way, on, on Pure Faith. Wow. I, I did this. Can you hear that? Yep, yep. And uh, I remember they, they left me and Mike Long. Uh, Mike Long was the engineer. Uh, I think it might, might have been Jason said, uh, oh, are you going to do your um, your line to Electric Mainline? And I said, yeah, yeah. And I think this was in the early days of um, uh, computer recording. We had all the tapes struck to uh, Simpty time code so that it would be in sync with uh, a computer. He might have been using a basic version of Logic. I can't remember. I, I knew nothing about computers in those days. But I do know that it was, we had Simpty time code. And, uh, and I remember they said, uh, oh, do you just want to record it once and then just print it? And I went, no, nah, nah, I'll record it all the way through. And uh, it, I mean, it, it, to do that one riff all the way through. And then there's tempo changes where it gets a bit faster, I think. Uh, and I, I had to adjust to, to that as it was going along, generated by the Simpty time code. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, fucking hell, I'll never do this. Uh, but I did, so. It's, it's always been a, a good live song as well. But I, I've never quite as taken, when when it's done live, it's one of these songs that 
that Jason tends to get to speed up towards the end. Mm. And that's fine. Maybe it suits a live experience better. But on record, I'm I'm quite happy with something which once it's kicked in, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, and and the experience is from that repetition rather necessarily than any variety in it. Because there's two tempo versions, isn't there? There's one that's half speed or something. And then it's... But it was first released uh, two different versions on the Electric Mainline EP. Yeah. And then the one on the album is different again from, from both of them. But yeah, all around the same idea and, and the same sort of phrasing with slight differences. Yeah. It, it's got to be so worth the fact that you did that, played it all the way through, because when you've got these things which are effectively repeated for, for a long time, it's the tiny little differences that I think your mind latches onto. Yeah. Even when I think Jason comes in with a, a little vocal thing, doesn't he? Oh, that's a vocal. I know that. I know the sound you mean. Yes, it is. It's because it's sort of humming, isn't it? Yeah. And because you've been listening to that for so long, it's like, oh, what a fantastic vocal take! But it's, it's <laughs> something like that. But it's as you say, it's just those little uh, touches which make it uh, so good. In going back to that EP that you just mentioned yeah i would play like the slow version and think oh yeah yeah i'm into this yeah i prefer this one then i'd flip it over and play the faster one and think oh no no this is it this is it <laughs> you know and to this day I, I love them both you know yeah well there were there were different interpretations i mean if you take the album version compare it to the way for instance that um there was that uh, Glastonbury 92 compilation with loads of different bands on, and there's a spiritualized version of that on mm. it, which is where at, at the end it's going absolute full pelt as the, as, the, as the pace just gets faster and faster and faster. And it builds up to this big climax. And then later on, a couple of years later, he would just make the end heavier so that when uh, Damon was on drums, there'd be all those crashing cymbals and stuff. And it, but rather than the pace kind of taking off, it would just be the intensity. So mm. he had just different ways of looking at it, obviously. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In some of the instrumentation, I think I feel I can hear things which sound like they're from um, the later instrumental tracks on Autobahn. Yeah, well, we all we all loved Kraftwerk, that, particularly that era. Jackson actually uh, he went to see Kraftwerk and he managed to get a copy of Feel So Sand and he feels so sand, feel so sad, and he put it into uh, Florian's hands. And uh, if I remember rightly, Jason said. Uh, he, he was thinking he's not going to like this, you know. It's nothing, but you know, I love them, and here, here's yeah. here's a copy of uh, you know my band feels so you know that single on dedicated. Yeah, and I think I think Florian said something like, "Ah, oh, thank you. We will listen to this on the tour bus." <laughs> Obviously, we heard nothing back. Uh, but it's just just the fact that he simply put it into Florian's hands. That was enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It is enough, isn't it? They weren't exactly talkative about this sort of thing, so <laughs> probably weren't expecting a fan letter back. But that's that's a great story, though, isn't it? Yeah. And it would have been on that same um, EP with those two instrumental versions that were the first time that, that we heard versions of um, Good Times and Lay Back in the Sun, mm. which very much sort of feel like two parts of the same work to me maybe it's just that they were released together because they sound very different but it feels like the same um yeah. ambience lay back in the sun do you know what i don't think i was involved with that oh yeah wasn't that on the uh the greenpeace um oh yes there was a version on that seven was, inch, yeah. uh, greenpeace yeah. i've forgotten about that I'm yes been on it I've, I've got very little memory of that track uh-huh 
Um, I must have played on it, but uh, I got maybe I didn't. I don't know. I've got, I've got very little memory. They, they had a club downstairs at Mould, and a lot of the time we'd be recording into the night, and there'd be a banging club night going on downstairs, and um, and this um, jazz Jamaica, this group were playing one night, and we got wind of uh, the fact that um, Rico Rodriguez was playing with them, and. Fair play to Jason. He said, "Ah, oh, I want to get them on the on the album. I want to get them playing on the tracks." And uh, we we could see from looking down from upstairs their van arrive, and we saw them arrive, and we we're going, "Oh, you know, they're here, Jason. They're here." And we were kind of like thinking, oh, "Who's going to ask them? Who's going to ask them?" And Jason, fair play to him, went downstairs, spoke to the jazz Jamaican manager, and he had to have the two other guys playing. Was it clarinet and flute or something? If, 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 he, if he was going to use Rico, then he had to use the two other guys, which was, you know, brilliant. Mm-hmm. So those, the, the other uh, musicians who play on that, I can't remember what song it was that they played on. It was I think that, it's, I think it's take good care of it for the trumpet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Trumpet, trumpet and uh, Rico's trombone. Right. Yeah. But I remember, I remember meeting them in this, uh, in this like, you know, uh, relaxation room, with a, you know, with a TV and that. Huh. And Rico pulled out this massive bag of grass and he was uh, telling us about this, uh, the times when he was doing session work in Jamaica, where the uh, the session fees for his work weren't enough to cover the taxi ride to the studio. But I couldn't understand a word he was saying because <laughs> his patois was so impenetrable. Uh, but somebody else was translating it. It was their manager, I think, and he was saying he's saying that the taxi fare was so. <laughs> and all the time he's rolling this massive, humongous split. What a legend! And his his trombone was actually sometimes out of tune, but it wasn't. That was it was the sound of Rico, you know. Mm. What, what, not out of tune. It was just his style, the way he played, mm-hmm. uh, so full of character, brilliant. And so, yeah, down to Jason about that. Another little thing about Pure Face, mm-hmm. um, there was used to be this um, office studio manager lady called uh, Jan. And um, me and Johnny were t- talking to her and, uh, and this, this girl walked down the stairs and Jan said, uh, do you know who that was? And we said, no. She said, that's Gillian at a new order. She's just borrowed some of your symbols. And Johnny went, all oh, right, <laughs> thanks for asking. So uh, about three or four days later, me and Johnny went to uh, Real World Studios in Box uh, to pick up his symbols because Steve Morris had borrowed them. Well, what the fuck is Steve Morris borrowing Johnny's cruddy old symbols for? Surely he's got like wardrobes full of symbols. So we went down there and uh, this studio like technician came out and we said, uh, yeah, what do you want? He said, oh, we just come to collect um, symbols, you know, new order, borrowed them off Johnny. He went, oh yeah, okay. So we waited in this like room and there was this old boy in there and he was watching something or other on the telly and I, and I just went, all right, mate, what's on the TV? And he went, oh, I don't know, cricket or something. Went, all right, yeah. It was only late, later I realised that was Rob Gretton. And, uh... Uh, and I, I don't know why I didn't recognise him. And then... A few minutes later, this guy came out and he had Johnny's symbols and stuff. And he said, oh, oh, we could hear all this mank laughter going on. He said, oh, do you want to come in and say hello? And we went, we were assholes. We just went, nah, see ya. <laughs> and I think, what a fucking twat. 
They were, they were my ultimate favourite band, but I genuinely thought, nah, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I mean, considering that following you on Twitter these days is largely uh, a, a retweeting the, the history of New Order, yeah. uh, everything they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bonkers. I, I emailed um, Steve Morris and I reminded him of this and he went, um, oh yeah, I remember that. Did he ever get them back? <laughs> uh, fantastic. Well, after Good Times on Pure Phase, it goes into the track Pure Phase, which I don't know if there's much playing on that at all. It's really just a sound effect. So, mm. um, And then we talked a little bit already about Spread Your Wings. Mm-hmm. And then things get rounded off with uh, Feels Like Going Home. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Cracking end. That, that's another one which... Um... Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the last two tracks on that album are yeah. kind of as good as anything that Jason did post Basement 3. Yeah. Um... I don't know if any of you remember um, when Simon Bates on Radio 1 used to have um, his various features there. There was one feature he did, which every day had a little bit of background music, which drove me mad because we were working in an office that had Radio 1 all the way on. And some it's sentimental just a, story. Yeah, well, there was there was that thing when he had his hour tune, which had some particular tune, thing. It. But there was another feature yeah. he had. I can't remember what the feature was now, but it had this backing music. I was going... Look, I know this really well, but the context was so different that I couldn't connect it up. And then it suddenly occurred to me that it was... And it was... Yeah. Yeah. Had he actually used it? Yeah, it was just being looped in the background. I mean, presumably it was a producer's choice or whatever. But there you go, a little bit of pure phase instrumental from those last tracks being looped around and people on radio and one listening to them every day. Who's, who's playing the strings on those songs? Uh, that is... Absolutely beautifully playing on uh, Feels Like Going Home. I mean, oh, really yeah. stunning. We were, I was listening to it yesterday and it reminded me of how lovely it is. Do you know what? I can't remember. Uh, I know that kick horns are, are all over Pure Faith. Uh, but who plays the strings? I don't know. I don't know. Actually, this is backtracking a bit. Because I remember we recorded some of 200 bars in Bath, Moles. Uh-huh. And, uh, and we got this um, session musician, uh, accordion player uh, woman to come in. And, uh, uh, she was, I wouldn't say elderly, but she was definitely older than us, you know, by a margin, probably in her 40s or 50s at the time. And she was like, a, a, you know, a session player that we got from the Musicians Union or whatever in, in the local Bath area. And she came in and um, Jason played her the track. And he said, yeah, what I want you to do is... So she played along to it and she went, well, I can't do that. Said, Why not? She said, well, it's syncopation. I can't do that. Well, you know, just, just do it like... She said, I can't do it. So <laughs> me and Jason had to... Uh, I can't remember which one of us was pressing the keys and which one of us was pressing the little black buttons. But as, as she was pushing, as she was pushing the bellows, one of us was doing the <laughs> the chords and the black button. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I don't know if she ended up getting paid. <laughs> that is extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, that that was in Bath Moles, and uh, I've got a very distinct memory of that being in Bath Moles. Well, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm no, sure. some of it was done there. 
yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was definitely Bath Moles. Yeah, going back to uh, feels like going home. I remember Jason asked me to play guitar through his Vox head of his amp, and uh, or I might have asked him because it had this great sound. It's great, and and I did all that. Uh, you know, at the end, the tail out. Stuart, Stuart Gordon violin, does that sound right? Or would it be one of the Balanescu lot? Uh, oh, Balanescu lot, may, maybe. Now, I wasn't, wasn't there. I never met any of the Balanescu lot, even though I'd uh, suggested, that, you know, I think Jason got the idea from me, well, from me having that CD, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I, I, I didn't meet any of them lot. I, I remember years later, I was in Pet Shop Boys and um, we'd done, a, was it our first... It was on the first tour that I did with them in sometime in March or February or March 02. And uh, it was at Stoke University. And uh, on the way there, um, Neil Neil Tennant said, um, oh, Johnny Marr and John Savage are coming tonight. And I remember thinking, oh, fuck, no pressure then. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I, I just forgot about that. When you get into the whole you know, thing of playing a gig and sound check, doing the gig. You just forget things like that. And um, halfway through the gig, uh, a, a lot of the power went down. You could only hear the guitars. For <laughs> a Pet Shop Boys gig, yeah. It's me and Vic playing guitars. <laughs> so that was a bit a bit of a disaster from their point of view. But um, we're in the dressing room afterwards, and uh, I was just sitting down, just, you know, relaxing and... Um, the door opened and uh, it was one of these like big, almost like a, some like lecture room. Um, and uh, and this guy walked in and I was sure it was one of the Oasis guys, you know, one of the brothers, Noel or Liam. But I, I, was, I wear glasses, so I couldn't really make him out. But he was make, he, he started walking towards us and then he started walking right up to me. And as soon as he came up to me and he was in eyesight, I realised in a millisecond it was Johnny Marr. And he went, all right, Matt, fucking great, that. Uh, and I went, oh, thanks, Johnny. <laughs> and uh, he sat down next to me and he went, the first thing he said was, um, did you play on Pure Phase? And I went, uh, yeah, yeah, fucking great album, Matt, brilliant. And I went, oh, right, yeah, thanks. And, um, and then I asked him about um, Electronic. And uh, on one of their albums, I'm sure they use a can sample of Mother Sky for the beginning, the, the first few seconds of this track. And I went, did you use Mother Sky, sample of Mother Sky for, um, I forget the name of the track. And he went, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we then chatted for about, it was, it must've been for about an hour. Wow. And um, I never once asked him about the Smiths. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's, he's a big Pure Face fan. That's uh, good to know. Yeah, I, I think I told you I was lucky enough to see him a couple of years ago with my youngest, who's become quite a guitar enthusiast, and he played five Smith songs there. So it's good to have an outlet where you can still enjoy the Smiths these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he played the, those early electronic singles as well. Yeah, uh, he does a great version of um, "Getting Away with It," where yeah. he breaks down into this almost a spiritualized segment um, where he does this fantastic guitar bit. Uh-huh. You know? I saw him do it at the Roadmender here uh, a few years ago. Yeah, wow. yeah. I, I have to say that I have to add to the whole pure phase thing that um, 
I was very unhappy for a lot of the time uh, in Bath Moles. I remember there were times when Jason would spend an inordinate amount of time getting a cymbal sound right. And uh, at the time I was so impatient and I couldn't see the, the sense in a lot of the things that he was doing. But obviously with the benefit of hindsight, you know, he was doing what he had to do. But I would get so frustrated. I remember going to, to the pub downstairs um, opposite Bath Moles on my own and just drinking just to get away from the, the atmosphere. And I remember Jason coming down and saying, uh, do you realise that uh, there's people who, who like us as much as you like, you know, and he said, you know, whoever you like, uh-huh. your heroes like Joy Division or whatever. And, and I went, well, I didn't know that, but you, you kind of lose sight of that sort of thing. And I think Jason was trying to re- rekindle some of my uh, initial enthusiasm, which, you know, I still still did have, but I was very frustrated. And I think in those months that we were in Bath Moles, that must have set the, the notion in, in his head of like, I can't play with people who are unhappy in the band. You know? So was it more a case then of it, it just being the time that things were taking rather than anything musically in the band that you started feeling unhappy about yeah it's just they were little things when you know when you look at back at them now but uh we were in moles in in december maybe it was november and december uh, of 93 was it or 92 no 92 and we were there right up jason wanted us there right up until christmas eve and Obviously, we wanted to get home, be with our families, get stuff, you know, for them. And, uh, and I left early. I think I left early on, on Christmas Eve, got on this massive mental train journey, uh, eventually got back home, you know, in, in late Christmas Eve. Uh, and I thought, uh, you know, this is, uh, that, that was one of the things that, uh, and I found out that Jason was pissed off that I didn't go to the studio on Christmas Eve. <laughs> but, uh, but you know fair enough he had to do what he, what he was doing at the time he, he was you know spiritualizer was very much his vision and um, uh, of course of course I mean had you already been um, writing stuff for yourself in the oh, meantime yeah, yeah I, I'd always been write, writing stuff and um, me and Johnny uh, went to this uh, local studio in Northampton and um, uh, we recorded a couple of songs uh, I think one of them be- eventually became Sundown, the first uh, Slipstream single. But uh, I had no idea what was going to happen to this uh, songs that I was recording. I just needed a, an outlet from yeah. my duties in Spiritualize. I think I was frustrated that uh, stuff that I presented to Jason wouldn't be used in the way that I would perceive it to be used. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was doing my own stuff. And, uh, and I didn't tell Jason, you know, oh, I'm going to a studio to record my own songs. So there, because it wasn't like that at all. But um, Johnny went round to uh, see Jason and Kate for some, you know, some social reason or whatever. And uh, to use Jason's words, <laughs> Johnny let the cat out of the bag. Uh. Whereas uh, it, it, Johnny was, wouldn't have been saying, you know, saying it like that. Uh, but Jason was uh, very annoyed that I'd done that. So he called me and he said, you know, what do you think you're doing? You know, you, you're spending your money. You, you can't afford doing your own songs, you know, and you, you should be, uh, you know, devoting everything to spiritualized, blah, 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 blah. You know, he did have a point. But at the same time, I was saying, you know, I still want to be in spiritualized. But, you know, I'm just doing my own stuff as a, on the sideline. I've always done it. And um, but he, he didn't like that. So after that, 
passing with Jason. He'd already been demoing a few things, um, and it came to the attention of uh, Shea Trading Records. Yeah, um, I'd sent out um, a cassette of um, the demos that me and Johnny had done at that studio. I think it inadvertently ended up on uh, on somebody's desk somewhere, and somebody from Shea might be Neil or not Neil, what's his name, Nick, Nick or Vanita, uh -huh. uh, just saw on the desk in some record company, Slipstreet. Oh, no, no, it wasn't Slipstreet, because I didn't have a name for the band. It just said Mark Refoy. Uh -huh. and, um, and they went, oh, that's the guy from Spiritualized. Um, so they, they took it, and, um, and it, it, it all went from there. And they were the ones who said, uh, yeah, we'd like to put a single out. And uh, you've got to have a band name, and we've got you a couple of little gigs in London or whatever. Did you not already know Vanessa at all? Because of course she'd been uh, at school with Kate. That's right. Yeah. No. I, ah. Maybe. Maybe I had met Vanessa before. Can't remember. Well, no. I guess it was what encouraged her to to grab hold of it then, if she was yeah. aware who yeah. you were. So, so you got that set up from them but as you just said you didn't have a name so how did you come up with that i didn't want to have the band like being like my name because that just was too much like a solo thing and i was like oh, i don't want that and uh so i just went through my record collection and uh we used to listen to a lot of van morrison at the time you know moon dance astral weeks and that and uh and i had this album of his called uh poetic champions composed there's a song on it called the queen of the slipstream and i thought oh yeah, that's a slipstream. That's a, I made a mental note of the word. And I was going through the albums and I came across Astral Weeks and, uh, and there's the lyrics. Uh, if I ventured in the slipstream between the viaduct of your dreams, blah, blah, blah. I thought, ah, slipstream. Ah, that would do. I don't, I don't think I had an epiphany. It wasn't like uh, slipstream. Yes. It was like, yeah, that'll do. So uh, and I had no idea. It didn't occur to me at all that the definition of a slipstream is something that gains its momentum from the wake of something bigger. Uh -huh. And uh, that completely escaped me. But uh, in a way, it's <laughs> quite apt, really. But it's interesting how some of these names just come because the, the pressure is on and you've got to come up with something so that yeah. it can be used. That's right. I mean, the... Uh, Nirvana ended up having to pay uh, a big chunk of money to uh, yeah. a pre-band who were already called Nirvana for a name that they didn't even really like very much. Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. They were a bunch of uh, sort of like hippies, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. sort of psych folk type yeah, thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. I've forgotten all about that. <laughs> I guess it depends how successful you become as to whether people will come after you for a, yeah, a chunk yeah. of uh, a chunk of the money there. Yeah. I think there's subsequently uh, there's about 20 different slipstreams all over the world. <laughs> yeah. But I think we were I remember specifically asking Shay. There was a guy called uh, Chris Kaz who worked at Shay at the time. And they had this kind of like primitive computer database of everything that had ever been released at the time. Uh -huh. And I said, can you check that there's any other slipstreams? And there was some kind of one-off dance techno release by somebody called Slipstream. And I think Chris got in touch with them and said, you know, are there any problems with this band having the name Slipstream? And But apparently this thing wasn't a viable entity anymore. Yeah. So we were okay to go ahead with it. 
but, it must have been so difficult in the pre-internet days now you could just search for whatever's out there straight away yeah i mean the amount of times i've thought of a great band name and i've well to what i thought was a great band name googled it oh yeah. fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> next time hopefully we'll we'll be talking to you a lot more about about slipstream things but we've already talked last time about how the first song on the first Slipstream album, Harmony, evolved out of uh, a song that you had helped to write and were performing with Spiritualize. We had a comment um, from someone who listened to that episode on YouTube who says, this is a comment from uh, Gemma Dora, who says, read the track initially called Colleen, then Girl, that Mark talks about. Colleen could possibly be named after Colleen Maloney, who worked during press at Dedicated Records in the early 90s. Colleen was from Cork in area. She ran, later ran the PR department of 4AD Records, then Beggar's Banquet, and has run the publicity for Domino Records for the past 15 years. A wonderful person. So, coincidence? Colleen, fantastic girl. Brilliant, brilliant. She was uh, doing all the press with a guy called Niall or Neil McGinley, a dedicated and uh, yeah, brilliant. I haven't spoken to her in a long time, but um, she was always really supportive of us. Um, but no, I don't think, to the best of my knowledge, uh-huh. it was named after her. Oh, well, there you go, Gemma. You have your answer. Just a name that was floating about in the background, not a... <sighs> Not a direct influence. Colleen so. phoned me up. Um, she was at, uh, this was would have been in the last five years or so. And she was at a spiritualized gig in London. So, sorry, she didn't phone me up. She texted me. And, and I've never had a text from Colleen. I've had a number for God knows how long, but we, we don't have, you know, a text relationship. And uh, she texted me just to say, oh, I'm at a spiritualized gig. And it, it's great, but it's just not the same as when, you and Johnny and all that. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> Do I recall my reading something that you said some years ago now when you went to a spiritualized gig and ended up oh, yeah. going backstage and chatting to Jason? There's a great story behind that. <laughs> I was flying back from um, Bangkok with um, Pet Shop Boys and uh, we got to Heathrow, I think it was, and uh, I was coming down some escalator going to uh, pick up my baggage or whatever. And I thought, oh, that looks like Jason in the distance. I can't be. Anyway, uh, got my bag, went to, uh, you know, uh, arrivals where they they arranged for a cab to me, uh, uh, for me to pick me up or whatever. And there was Jason waiting uh, in, in the same area. And uh, I tapped him on the shoulder and he turned around and he went, oh, Mark, put his arms around me. And he said, I saw your name being held up and I just wanted to wait and say hello. And I was blown away. Oh, uh, yeah, that's nice. You know, uh, and he said, uh, where have you been? I said, I just got uh, come back from Bangkok. And he went, wow, you're looking pretty good, seeing as you've just spent some time in Bangkok. <laughs> and he went, yeah, we, we, we've just come back from there as well. And I went, ah, you must have been on the same flight then. <laughs> he must have been in economy and I was in business. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't say that, but it did, it did make me laugh. That's brilliant. <laughs> I, I said something like, oh, yeah, we'll have to hook up and say, you know, say hello and that. And he said, yeah, do. But I think we both realised that none of us was going to actually go through with that. It was almost like exchanging pleasantries. Yeah. But, you know, it, um, about a short time after that, my mate Craig, Craig Wagstaff, the dark side guy, mm-hmm. 
um, we spoke and he said, I'm going to see Spiritualize, the, uh, the electric ballroom. Do you want to come? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. So um, went down and uh, it was the first time I'd ever, oh, no, no, I had seen Spiritualize before, but I was blind drunk and uh, I don't really remember it. That was at the uh, Reading Festival and I'd seen them in a tent after I'd seen New Order. So I was in no fit state to appreciate Spiritualized. Uh, so the first time I saw them in my eyes properly was uh, at the Electric Ballroom. And Which year was that? That was 2004. I think it was 2004. I think it, whatever song Lord Let It Rain on me, whatever album that was on, I think that was the album he was touring. Yeah, it's 2004-ish. It's Amazing Grace yeah. time, isn't it? Yeah. And um, and Paddy was doing the lights, so uh, it was a bit like uh, old days, but it was very weird. When I was in Spiritualized, I had a dream that one day I would be watching them. And I remember waking up from the dream thinking, what the fuck's all that about? I'll never be watching Spiritualized because I'm in them. Anyway, uh, it was halfway through this gig, I thought, fuck, this is my dream. <laughs> anyway, I met, I met them afterwards, and uh, weirdly enough, I didn't have a backstage pass. And, uh, and Craig was already backstage. We'd somehow got separated during the gig. And, uh, but I was with Paddy, the lighting guy, and he was saying to this uh, security guy, he's, he's got to come backstage. He was, the, you know, the, one of the original members, the guitarist. So this security guy went, all right, then. Whatever <laughs> 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 happened. <laughs> and, uh, You've got so, enough bravado, you can bluff anyone. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I went to see them and I, it was great. I had a good laugh with Jason and uh, he was gracious and uh, he, he was joking as ever. He was he, he was saying, in re reference to his band, he was saying, oh, these lot, well, they don't know what it's like, you know, you know what it's like to be in a real touring band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I haven't drank in 20 odd years and, uh, and I, I hadn't, I'd been sober for about three or four years at that gig and jason said uh you know do you want a drink and i said uh yeah you got any juice or anything he said oh yeah yeah you don't drink do you and i thought oh yeah i wonder how we got uh, mm. but uh but it was brilliant it was great i mean they were such a different prospect as a band by that time they transformed their sound a lot that i guess it wouldn't be it's not like you're having to watch someone impersonate what you were doing no, no. They were really good. I enjoyed that gig. It was great. Yeah, I remember that tour. They were they were they were on form. I mean it's it's an album which divides fans a bit. Um but I remember whatever people were thinking of the album, that was that was a really good time live. And that, in fact that was a pretty amazing electric mainline on that tour, I remember. And I didn't know at the time about who would be involved in things like lighting, but now the fact that you say it was Paddy, I remember that so, so clearly that when Electric Mainline kicked in and the banks of lights just all yeah. came stunningly on at, at yeah. once. And also they kept the pace much the same throughout as well without the speeding up the thing that i didn't like about it it was amazing it was, it was yeah. very good very good show yeah I, I remember thinking at the time uh oh this is good these lot are great <laughs> i was kind of like removed from the fact that i was once on the stage mm. uh, which is was a good thing you know well mark thank you very much that has been 
a great discussion and uh, you know you've, you're so generous with with your time and your stories for us um hopefully we will be back before too much longer to get stuck into your your solo stuff which is quite an extensive uh, career now um which uh, it's fair to say that that mark and i have both been uh, enjoying an awful lot lately and uh, discovering things which have surprised us really uh, especially on the most couple yeah. of recent albums I, I think it's it's going from strength to strength probably a good point to mention to anyone who hasn't come across this uh, oh as we were talking about near the beginning of the chat that you've just put out um a, a new song which people can get from Bandcamp. please check that out people i'll put a link next Definitely to worthwhile uh, yeah no it's lovely, isn't it? i'll put a link next to uh wherever you found this episode on on, on our website but until next time, thank you very much. That's been wonderful. Thanks, Thanks Thank Mark. you. Cheers. Thank you. Well, I, as I said at the beginning, I think that's my favourite part of the interview so far. Lots of, of lovely little stories. And that's so interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's um, worth pointing out, uh, as we were saying, chatting to Mark uh, after we finished the recording of uh, how proud he is of all the time he, he spent in, in Space and Three and Spiritualized. And uh, he, he's, he's extremely proud of the records they made. And I hope that's reflected in, in a lot of the stories that are told there. I think also both those albums, the first Spiritualized album, uh, when you listen to what Mark is saying about and then when you listen to a bit of Slipstream afterwards, you realise he was absolutely central to so many of those songs. So many of those guitar motifs came from him. And I think uh, uh, he was perhaps more creative than uh, people gave him credit for. And I, I've certainly come away uh, with a great deal more respect for him than I had before, which was which was considerable anyway. Well, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, there's there's no, no one's ever going to displace uh, Jason from being the central creative force not, in the no. whole band. And as Mark said a few times in the interview, he needed to have his chord structures, his lyrics, everything in place beforehand so that there was something for the rest of them to riff on. It's come together so wonderfully, especially mm. on those albums. I mean, not dismissing the later ones, but I think many of us have those ones as, as our favourites. And uh, this has really helped us understand yeah. why. Yeah. Of course, I went away and, and listened to Pure Phase a lot more uh, after we'd had that chat. And I think that some of the songs that Mark says, oh, I don't remember playing on that. I think it's possible that some of them don't actually have any guitars on them. The <laughs> versions of uh, All of My Tears and Take Good Care of It, those wonderfully atmospheric ones, yeah. there's lots of bass and strings and things on them. And a great deal of production. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not actually sure that there are guitar parts, or if they are, they're very subtle. So it may well be the case that he wasn't taking part in them anyway. Right. And the story that Mark wasn't previously aware of about the um, re-recorded version of Good Times not being on the original Pure Face track list, uh, and this maybe this is why it appeared on the side four of the vinyl as a bit of an afterthought. Uh, yeah. It was sequenced in there on the CD. I mean, I'd, I'd forgotten that it's not even included on the track list on the back of the vinyl album, even though it did That's end up right. on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, although it's in its right place on the CD. And curiously, if you were to buy, as I may have suggested to my children for Father's Day, which is only a few days, <laughs> if you were to buy a Pure Face t-shirt from the Spiritualized website, they've used the version of the track listing from that original vinyl album. It still doesn't have good times on it. I hadn't spotted that. Yeah, no, I, I, it was only because I was looking out for it after this. You're more eagle-eyed than I am, Ian. And I'm glad that a few people have been talking about Pure Phase at various places recently. It's enabled me to get a few other things that I said in, in the interview a bit more straightened out. Uh, a chap called Andrew McCulloch uh, has written a nice piece about when he was pitching 
uh, a book to the 33 and a third series, uh, little mini books about makings of, uh, of albums. He pitched them one for pure phase, which they didn't take up in the end, but he's published the chapter, the sample chapter he sent, which was uh, all about um, the last track about Feels Like Going Home. And one of the things he included there was that when I was saying in the interview that there was a Simon Bates thing on Radio One that had looped the strings oh, from yeah, the beginning right. of that track. Turns out that it was Nicky Campbell. It would have been a bit strange if Simon Bates had two similar <laughs> features about um, you know breakup and heartbreak scenarios <laughs> along with our tune. But at least I was right to remember that there was a Radio One program that was looping those strings. Uh, it just it just took ages for me to place where they come from because it was so out of context and didn't go into the rest of it. Another thing that we should mention is Mark talks near the end of the interview about not meeting anyone from the um, Vanalescu Quartet, even though he had that CD, he said. Well, that's a story that we were chatting about before we started recording and then forgot to do in the main interview, in that Mark had a Vanalescu Quartet CD of an album called Possessed, where most of it is made up of Kraftwerk covers, which he'd then given to Jason. And obviously Jason liked it enough to ask them to take part. So that explains what Mark means when he says, you know, even though I had that that CD. It looks like an interesting disc. I haven't got that, but I've got it on order now. So <laughs> looking forward to that. And also I, I finally worked out which Craftwork uh, song there was a bit of Electric Mainline that reminded me of. Of the two versions on the original Electric Mainline EP, the second one, the slightly slower one, there's a bit of piano in that, and in the middle of Comment and Melody 1 on Autobahn, there's a little piano feature, and I remember the first time I heard it, only having gotten into Kraftwerk much more recently than, than this and is spiritualized, it immediately said, oh, that sounds a little bit like that. Mm -hmm. It's only influence, it doesn't have the same melody or anything, but it's a nice similar feel. In fact, going back to that electronic sound uh, interview that we mentioned earlier, I don't want to go into much of the details because it's a current magazine and I think it's only fair that people try and track it down for themselves and buy it if they can. But slightly more than Mark said, because of course he mentioned that Jason had given Florian a copy of Feel So Sad, in the electronic sound interview Jason says that he uh, wanted Ralph and Florian to mix laser guided melodies and that they seemed interested. Mm -hmm. But they didn't uh, follow would have it been up. Interesting. If it seems to indicate that you didn't follow it up through shyness, more than anything, uh, which I guess you can understand. Uh, we've all got our heroes, and uh, it must be a bit intimidating to uh, try and approach Craftwork to do something like that. We're going to yeah. talk finally, I hope, about Slipstream and Mark's other work uh, when we chat to him next time. But it's worth saying right now that there's a new Slipstream song available on Bandcamp. Uh, there is yours for a pound although i think you can probably stream most of it anyway I, I, you get higher quality download options so certainly worth a quid oh yeah absolutely it's, it's, it's lovely other than that it has been gloriously sunny in the last few days here and uh, i think has. we've been taking advantage and, and listening to, to to summer sounds uh, that's right yeah oh, well, well you've been enjoying well it was after our conversation about uh Spaceman 3's I Love You last week I went back to some of those Marley tunes um, because Pete Kemper's obviously a very big Lee, Lee Perry fan and uh, uh, those happen to be some of the tunes which Lee Perry worked uh, when, when, when he worked with Bob Marley and so I went back and played a, load, a whole load of those and then I found myself playing a lot of other Lee Perry stuff uh, I'm sure that a few people are familiar with the the wonderful Congos album which for me is probably the greatest reggae album that I've ever heard even though it's not a 
a dub album as such it's incredibly psychedelic the whole thing has got that key uh lee perry kind of whooshing underwater sound throughout the whole thing uh, and that sounds remarkable on uh, a good a good sunny afternoon i have to say uh not like uh, <laughs> things like lee perry's black ark in dub which i've never really found as a very sunny record that's a very late night dark rude type of record so uh uh yeah head for the head for the congos run the black ark i think <laughs> uh but uh, no a lot of reggae been heard in our house um also uh, something which uh, always comes out when it's really hot weather is a very obscure uh kind of acid psych album from 1976 called Relatively Clean Rivers, uh, put together by a guy called Phil Perlman uh, on his own Pacific Is label. Uh, it's now, I think I saw a copy sold for two and a half thousand dollars about a month ago. Uh, you can get reissues, even those are very hard to get hold of. But for me, this is this is the best hot weather album I know of. It, it, it positively crackles with with heat you can almost kind of see the sort of rippling mirage come off the vinyl as you as you play it and again this this is one for a very hot afternoon again easily found on youtube uh, it's only about 35 minutes but it's uh, every second is worthwhile on that on that on that record so every day it gets particularly hot indeed like yesterday uh, that album is always played here you've been recommending that to me for uh, a while and i finally had the opportunity when it was very hot yesterday to give it a go um i yeah i'm, ne I'm never going to be completely um taken i think by the country stuff uh, as well much as you are but i did after my initial slight skepticism at the beginning find it really quite enjoyable in fact as it went on i was enjoying it more and more and i, I especially the instrumental passages yeah. when the flute cuts in in particular I thought that was was really nice. There's a bit of a false ending at one point. There is point. On, on, on some of it. it. It sounds almost kind of clumsy at times, but I think it's just uh, kind of adds to the overall charm. I thought it had finished at one point, and then there's a couple of little, suddenly there's these two sound effects, and they're quite spaced out as well. After the, <laughs> oh, when I had the first one, I thought, oh, did I hear that? And then another one comes in. But no, I thought it was very pleasant, and maybe I should give it um, a bit more of a chance and uh, may end up being more seduced by it. Yeah, if uh, anyone comes across a, a copy at a car boot sale, they're, uh, at, so that's that's certainly one of the uh, nuggets to keep an eye out for, one of the most valuable records of its time. Obviously, quids in if that happens. <laughs> I don't feel guilty on this occasion getting it off YouTube, since it seems that coming across a copy is not going to be the easiest thing to do. Well, there were, I mean, they did some reissues, but they were all regarded as bootlegs, and so they've been withdrawn from sale. I mean, you right. can occasionally find those, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, the idea of having to stump up for an original copy is, is perhaps not very realistic i don't think my only summer concession to summer has been to go back and listen to the electric mainline ep a bit in preparation for the or after the interview um because we've got lay back in the sun there and the whole thing just felt like it was completely summary which is. is a bit ironic considering it came out in i think october <laughs> 1983 in fact of course i realize it's another thing i said during the interview which isn't really correct because i said to mark about how um uh, take good care of it. it would be the first new material we'd heard well of course the lay back in the sun and good times electric mainline all of those were on that ep you know over a year earlier than that but um, I, I think it's wonderful. I, I think the versions on that Electric Mainline EP of all of the tracks are my favourite ones. I think in context of Pure Phase, it, it does make sense to have re-recorded them. I think they fit in more with the atmosphere of the album in those re-recorded versions. But I just love the originals. Um, it, a bit more lo-fi, really, which is a, not something you often get with, with Spiritualized, so very produced. But um, 
yeah, I, I, I just really adore those. I think that's lovely. Well, of course, thanks once again to Mark. Looking forward to a final part of a chat with him soon. But until then, we've been Spaceman Pod. Thanks for coming. Goodbye. Goodbye.